0: Us. Um, But now we come back to Philippians. We're in chapter 3. Would you stand one more time as we read these verses together? We're going to focus on verses 1 to 6, but I'm going to read 1 to 11 for the sake of context. This is God's Word, Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, The righteousness that come, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. You may be seated. Philippians chapter three. We've done two chapters. We got two more to go. Paul is after two things for us. He's after. Contentment, to be content in the Lord, and joy. And really, joy is required for contentment. Remind you, because we've been away a few weeks, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's been to Philippi, he's writing a letter to them, and he's telling them about this thing, joy, that you can have even in jail, even in difficult circumstances and situations. That's what we have here in 3, verse 1, finally... The transition, Paul's done some things, talked about unity. Finally, let me turn, I'm going to give you two chapters, remind you of joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate, have joy in the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Paul has to tell them to have joy. Paul has to tell us to have joy. We don't just have joy, he actually commands us, hey you guys, I want you to rejoice. Have joy in the The Lord, why does He have to command it? Because it doesn't come very easy. Happiness does, at some level, but joy doesn't. C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is serious. S.D. Gordon says this, Joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. Something goes your way, you're happy. Something doesn't go your way, you're unhappy. But joy has its springs deep down inside, and that spring never runs dry no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. Joy is hard fought. Um, Jesus, at the cross, do you remember what Hebrews says? It was for the joy set before Him that He endured the cross. The worst thing, the event, the crucifying of Jesus, He had joy. He found a deep place below the happiness line here, down here, deep, settled within Him, where it could not be touched by circumstances, even His own painful death. And He's saying... I'm in Philippi, Paul's saying, I'm in Philippi experiencing very difficult things. And I'm writing to you, young church, young church plant in Philippi. And I want you to know there's a place below happiness. It's called joy. And it's in the Lord. It's beyond our circumstance. I I struggle with joy. I don't know if you do. Um, You know, joy is elusive. Um, I can often, I know I'm supposed to have it. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Hopefully there's some evidence of it. Um, but I can often feel burdened. I can be easily frustrated, easily discontent. Small things happen in my day that don't go, and I'm just frustrated. I'm grumpy. Anybody else grumpy? I'm grumpy, right? And, and, and so it, it's hard. It, it's difficult. We, we know it. it if we think, but, but we struggle. And joy is elusive. And I want to ask tonight, why is that? Paul's going to give us one reason in the first couple chapters of chapter 3. There's a threat to joy. So we're going to look at what the threat to joy is, and then we're going to look at what's the solution to that threat. Before we go to this, it says in the end of verse 1, to write these same things to you is no trouble to me. In other words, I've already told you this, but I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to repeat it because you need to hear it, right? That's true of church. That's why we worship we, we have confession, that's why we hear the Word, that's why we have the Lord's Supper. We need things repeated, we need to, to ground ourselves because we tend to forget and we lose track. So Paul says, listen, I've told you about rejoicing, I've told you these things, i told you probably in person, but you're probably forgetting, so I'm going to repeat myself for your sake. It's no trouble to me. And then he says, and it's safe, it's safe for you. You need to hear this because I need you to you be guarded to be protected against the threat. There are things that are going to come against your joy and try to tear it down and take it away from you. Every day that happens. So I'm going to give you these words to protect you, to make you, church, safe. Safe for joy. Paul's going to do that. So let's have ears to hear what is the specific threat. I don't know if the verse is up there. There it is. Verse 2 says this, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. If you think Christianity is a bunch of nice words and kind things, Paul, Paul says, oh, this is strong language. Look out, it's a, it's a warning, it's the same verb three times. Look out, watch out, warning. Something's going to come against this command to rejoice in the Lord. What is that? What is that going to come against? It's this attitude of Jesus plus something else. Hopefully you'll see by the end. When there's Jesus plus something else, joy is eluded. Joy escapes us. Look out for the dogs. Here, I don't know if you saw this. I read this this weekend. There was a situation in Florida. A man was traveling, instead of going the main route, he went back through the woods to his house. you You don't know that this happens, but... Apparently a pack of dogs met him, and it was not pretty. Uh, The man died from attack, um, going back through the woods. That's the image Paul has here. It's not Fido, you know, it's not your little obedient chocolate lab that you play fetch with. It's not cuddly and fluffy. It's the idea, uh, in the first century, uh, dogs were uh, disease-carrying packs that ran a loose. They were uncontrollable. They were dangerous. They did great harm. And so Paul says, "Watch out for the dogs. They're out there, church. It's like a pack of wolves that would do destruction." The, there is intense irony here. Do you know who in Scripture is often called dogs? It's Gentiles. It's, it's non-Jewish persons. So Jews. Insult the Gentiles because they call them dogs. Dogs are unclean. They're outside the covenant community of of God. And so the Jews call Gentiles you dogs. But now Paul is telling the Gentiles that there's this other group to call dogs. And guess what? They're mostly Jewish. They're mostly made up of Jews. He's reversing it. How do we know that? How do we know who the dogs are? Look at the third warning. It says, Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So who, who, are these, who are these people to watch out for? They're what we call the Judaizers. Um, if you've read Galatians, Paul confronts them a lot. This is what they do. Hopefully this will catch on to us in a second. This is what they've done. They said, Jesus is great. We believe in Jesus. That's fine. It's great. But to be the real deal, you've got to have Jesus plus obedience to the law. That's the Judaized, that's the Jewish part. You've got the law, you've got Jesus, plus the law. So keeping the the Old Testament uh, dietary laws. Keeping the ceremonial laws. Uh, Here, if you're male, circumcision. So you come to faith in Christ, but you've got to add something to Christ. And so Paul says here, calls them mutilators of the flesh, they prided themselves that they were the circumcised group. They were the true faithful one. And here Paul's saying your place of honor is actually a place of dishonor. You are a mutilator of the flesh. You're a dog. You actually think you're the one that's clean. You're actually the dog, the unclean one that's been cut off. Your place of badge of honor is a place of destruction. He calls them, look out for evildoers, literally workers of evil. What's their work of evil? It's keeping the law. It's keeping the Old Testament law. I thought that was a good thing. David says we love the law. We rejoice in the law. How is he calling lawkeepers evildoers? It's because they've made law-keeping in addition to Christ alone for salvation. So it's Jesus plus. Obeying the law. And Paul says in this young Gentile church, you're getting along pretty well. You're starting this thing out. But watch out. People are going to come in and they're going to add things. They're going to increase the requirements of what it means to be the true, to be the pure. Um, why is Paul so worked up about this? I mean, that's strong language. Well, it's dangerous, one. But two, it's personal. Paul was never a Judaizer, but what was Paul? He was a Pharisee. Look at his resume. He was a part of a legalistic group. That's what the Judaizers are. They're, they're legalists. Verse 4-6, to six, he says, I am circumcised on the eighth day. I follow the law. I'm part of the people of Israel. I'm not like the dirty Gentiles. I'm an insider. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. That's one of the two tribes, the southern tribes that were faithful. It's the tribe of the first king, King Saul. I'm I'm of the pure tribe. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not a convert. I have a good pedigree. My parents were godly Jews. I'm a godly Jew. I have a good lineage, I've got a good ancestry. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Of the people that keep the law, I'm the strictest ones. I'm the ones that make other people keep the law. I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I am so zealous about the law, I persecute those who don't keep the law. And finally, he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Not that he's perfect, but in the Jewish sense, he was righteous. He was a law keeper. Now, before we just dismiss all of that, we need to say, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's got a pretty good resume. Like n- None of us come close. The audience he's talking to certainly couldn't touch that as to righteousness according to the law. And Paul is saying it's extremely dangerous. It will come into your little church in Philippi. It will come into your church in Midtown. There are ways that law-keeping actually takes away from the gospel. Let me ask you this. this is, uh, where are you most passionate? What are the things you're most uh, concerned about? Um, who, who advocates the strongest against drunk driving? It's people that have, what, experienced the harm of drunk driving or who, who's the one that does the, the most, uh, is advocate on certain kind of cancer research, right? It's people that have been impacted by that cancer. Who's the most zealous against cults or false religions or legalistic groups? It's those who've what? They've seen the harm. We, we know those things are bad. We know drunk driving's bad. We know... Uh, You know, cancer, we we know. But when you've been impacted, and Paul has been impacted, he said, I've been a part of a group that put, as he says in verse 3, confidence in the flesh, and I know what it does to your faith. I know what it does to your spirituality. And so watch out for the dogs. They're going to come in, and it's going to sound kind of right. It's a danger of cults, right? It's a danger if you've engaged Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. It sounds kind of right. But it's adding something to Christ. And this is where it connects to us. You're thinking, okay, how does the Jewish laws, circumcision, the, have anything to do with us, right? Are you asking yourself that question? You should be asking yourself that question. Um, the answer is, into verse 3, Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh. He goes on to say in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, my resume, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. It's not even that it's Christ plus these things. It's that all of these things, I don't count them as just additional things. I actually count them as loss. I actually think all of these things are working against the primary thing, namely Christ alone. Because they tempt me to put my confidence, not in Christ, but in the flesh. How does that play out for us? It could be in a religious context. It could be in certain spiritual gifts. Maybe you have to speak in tongues. Maybe if you speak in tongues, you're sort of spiritually higher. Maybe you have certain gifts. Maybe if you get to be the preacher, you're more spiritual. Um, maybe it's, you're a part of a political party. Political group. At, believing in this, Christ, my righteousness, my identity is in this. Or maybe it's a hot topic issue. And you think those that fought on this side versus that side really have it together. Or maybe it's, uh, we're the people that really get grace. That happens in our circles. We get God's grace more than you get God's grace. And grace is a good thing. But when grace becomes an identity marker, when it becomes something we pride ourselves in, we therefore put confidence in the flesh. Or maybe... We're the truth people. We should be the truth people. But the truth thing becomes something we put confidence in and actually moves away from Jesus and becomes a danger. Or maybe it's a social cause, or maybe it's we're the mercy ministry, or we're the social justice, or we're the... It goes on and on. My neighbor recently just moved. They said, uh, found out I was a pastor, which is always something I keep on the DL until it comes out. And they said, uh, oh, no, i got to be quiet with my language when I'm cutting my grass. I'm thinking, "Wow, I guess if I hear them say bad words, I think I stand above them because I don't say bad words. They don't know me that well, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> we should say good words. Uh, sometimes we don't. But what he's saying is their status is gained. Their separation by what? Our language. I would somehow look upon them in judgment because of his bad language, that I, who have good language, would now stand superior. As if the language separates us from them, right? What separates us is Christ and Christ alone. And Paul's saying any of those things creep in, often very good things, but they get added to Jesus. They become an identity marker, as the Judaizers were doing. You've got to keep the ceremonial laws, you know. Jesus is great, but you must be circumcised according to the law. And so you start putting your confidence in those things and it actually moves you away from Christ. That's the whole argument. We can do this in so many ways. It's what we do. It moves us away. We think if we're a part of certain ministries, we're sort of the green beret of ministry. And what's the problem? Confidence in the flesh is a code word for pride. Right? It's pride. If, If you sense pride in you, you've said, I kind of get something they don't get. I don't rest in righteousness alone in Jesus. It's, it's that, of course it's Jesus, but it's also, I, I've kind of got this area figured out. So When you see pride rising up, <laughs> Paul's going to say, there's confidence in the flesh. That's the threat. It's Jesus plus. What's the solution to this threat? How do we protect our joy? Two, two ways. One, you know who you are. And two, you boast in Jesus. Verse three, you know who you are. F- for we are the real or the circumcision. Um, I don't know if this text says it. It says the circumcision. Your Bible probably says the real circumcision. Real real's not in there. Most translations put it because it's trying to say we're the real thing. Instead uh, it's it says the, it's the in Greek, it's the definite article, it's like magnify, we are the circumcision, it's like we are the Ohio State University, you know, like we are the one and the only, that's what's happening here, we are the circumcision. Which sounds kind of like you're putting your pride in something, doesn't it? A little bit, kind of goes against what I just said, doesn't it sound that way? Who are we though? We are the true the real circumcision, the true is real. It's not the same thing as boasting in the flesh because what is circumcision you're speaking of is not a circumcision of the flesh, but it's a circumcision of the heart. And we can't change the heart. Listen to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Ezekiel 36, you're familiar with this. Listen to these words. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. There's no mutilation of the flesh. It's not something we do, we put confidence in. It's actually something God has done to us. We're the real circumcision, which means we're the people that God has come and He's changed our hearts. He's rooted out the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. He says it here. We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. This is not something conjured up It's not something we're making up. It's not something we do on our own. The difference is not what our hands have done. It's what God has done to us. We are the people that God has done to us. Now, how do we know that? How do we know the Spirit's working in us? Can't everyone say God's working in us? How do we know? People say it all the time. They're putting confidence in the flesh, but they're saying it's the work of the Spirit. How do we know? The second part. You boast... In Jesus, The solution to confidence in the flesh is boasting in Jesus. It says it here, we glory in Christ Jesus. Better translation or a, a way of translating is we boast in Christ Jesus. I thought boasting was bad. We tell our kids, don't boast, don't brag, right? The, the Bible says that throughout. Paul says, don't brag, don't boast about yourself, don't boast in your knowledge. Don't boast in your background. Uh, Don't boast in your appearances, outward appearances. Don't boast in law-keeping. Don't boast in the flesh. And then he says one other thing. We're not to boast in 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Jesus said. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. So what we're saying is, the Judaizers, the mutilators of the flesh, are putting confidence in the flesh, and Paul's saying we're putting confidence in the circumcision, but it's not something we do, it's something that Christ has done to us, and we know that is because now only thing we can boast in is our weaknesses, which points us to Christ. We get to boast, we get to anti-boast. We get to boast in what we're not good at. We have to boast in how frail we are and how weak we are and how anxious we are, how worried we are. You can boast, church, in those things. Because then by doing that, people, well, how are you the way you are? It's nothing. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. We boast in our weakness. It's a lack of confidence in the flesh. That old hymn, Rock of Ages, you've heard It says, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. As we start a church, as we move forward in doing ministries, it's so easy to put confidence in other things beyond Christ. It's confidence for you in your own life. Maybe you're the spiritually... uh, You're the spiritual discipline person in your group, right? You wake up at 4.45 every morning and have an hour of quiet time with your coffee, and it's a great thing, but yet it can become a place of boasting. (laughs) We're creative in how we boast in ourselves. Paul says boasting is going to be in the Lord. We boast in Him alone. And what this does to us and how this forms us as a community, as Paul has been preaching to Philippians is, When you boast only in Christ, there's no room for arrogance. I can't judge you. I can't look down on you. I can't one-up you. I can't stand above you. I can't say, well, my language is good. I heard the way you talk when you mow your lawn, right? There's nothing I can do to stand apart from you when the only thing I can boast in is Christ and Him alone. And the way we do that in the church as we wrap up The way we we do that in the church, the way we fall into this, is not by taking away from Jesus. Most of us don't deny Jesus. We don't move away from Jesus. We add to Jesus. We add something to Jesus that brings confidence back to ourselves. And the results of that are twofold. They rob God of his glory because we're to boast only in him. But they do the second thing, the thing we started with. They steal us of joy. When we add to it, we put confidence in our own flesh. We rob us of joy because when you put confidence in your flesh, what happens? You have burdens. You have to maintain it. You have to keep it. If you're known for your spiritual maturity, and that's what sets you apart, now you've got to maintain it for your joy. If you're known for your great gifts, if you're known for your great musical ability, if you're known for your great accolades, now you have to maintain those. If you lose those, you're discouraged. You're either prideful because you keep them or you're despairing because you can't keep them. And the burden and the weight is crushing you. Some of you students in here are smart and you're doing well. But there's a temptation to put confidence in your smarts. Is that a word? I'm not that smart. And as soon as you do that, you feel this crushing weight of like, I can't keep it up. I can't keep the image maintenance and you shrivel because confidence has shifted away from Christ alone to a good gift that has taken a place beyond what God has given it. Can't put extra. Paul is very clear. Rejoice. Watch out for those that will take your joy. They'll do it subtly. They'll do it simply. They'll do it by adding to Christ and Christ alone. I hope we're people of many of these things i hope we're people that are about ministries of all kind hope we're about grace hope we're about truth hope we're about spiritual gifts but i hope we boast in one thing only hope people know christ redeemer I, i don't know all they're doing a lot of things but what i do know about them is that they boast they glory they put no confidence in the flesh they put glory only in christ jesus wouldn't that be a beautiful thing we don't do that very well we all struggle but that's what God's calling us to. That's the direction that he's pushing us. May we add nothing to him. May we boast only in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have done the work in history and in our own hearts. That we stand not in our own strength, our own effort, our own righteousness. We're tempted to. We want to stand out. We want to differentiate from other churches we want to feel superior to other groups we want to know we have the moral edge the truth is the only thing we can boast is in our weakness and as we boast in our weakness we're boasting the fact that we are circumcised of the heart that you have come out of your own good pleasure and and broken down the hardness and the pride that we share as human beings and you brought new life to us may we boast In that, Jesus, your spirit is at work in us. And so we cry out, Jesus, is our hope and our salvation. May it be so. Amen.